0: responsible investing and understanding the ESG and the value of it can really act as an insurance policy for your practice in a way.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Pierre Daly, Managing Editor of AdvisorAnalyst.com. My special guests today are Deborah DeBass, Senior Specialist for Responsible Investing at Desjardins, Pasquale Posteraro, CFA and Equity Portfolio Manager at Desjardins Global Asset Management, also known as DGAM, and Nicola Fritz, Portfolio Specialist at London-based Impacts Asset Management. This is the Insight is Capital podcast.
2: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the individual guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of advisoranalyst.com or of our guests. This broadcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this broadcast is intended to be considered as advice.
1: Deborah Pasquale, Nicola, welcome to the show. It's great to have you.
3: Thank you, Pierre. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you, Pierre. Also a pleasure to be here.
3: Thank you, Garrett. It's great to be with you today.
1: Great to have you all. It would be helpful if each of you could take a turn to tell us about your backgrounds, the arc of your career, and what you're up to these days.
0: Deborah. Sure. So I'm Deborah the Bass. I work as the responsible investment specialist for the I've been working in the responsible investment space since 2008, when we actually first launched the Society of Portfolios. They were the first responsible investing portfolios offered in Canada and in Quebec. So most of my work is done educating advisors and investors alike to the benefits of responsible investing.
1: Great. Thank you. Pasquale? Yeah. So for
2: myself, most of my career, I've been an equity analyst since 2004, when I started at Standard Life Investment. Prior to DejaVe, even I was at Investors Group at McKenzie, where I really started to learn the ESG part of how will integrate into our equity analyst. As an investment analyst, we always I always put an emphasis on the governance side. So it's always been part of the process, but really in the last six years, it's really just... Integrating the whole process because ESG is a broader t- uh, thematic. So we really, with the and with the uh, ESG team within the Global Asset Management, is really integrating the two, not only from the equity but the fixed income side as well, and other asset like real estate. So I've been at the uh, Global Asset Management in the last two years. Uh, so for a foreign management and really just integrating the ESG within fundamental analysis and then
1: how to construct and waves into the funds. Thank you, for squally. and uh, Nicola from London-based Impacts.
3: I have worked for Impacts for about seven years almost. Early in my career, I worked for large investment banks, before in Credit Suisse and so forth. I grew up really in global macro. I was a proprietary trader at Credit Suisse, and before Impacts, I was working for a hedge fund uh, based in Hong Kong. So I've really worked across a number of different asset classes. I started my career in the late '80s. It's been a while, and. I came to a point in the career where I really wanted to combine impact with achieving return. So I did my own manager research, having worked with lots of the large institutional investing firms, and the list it was quite short at the time, to be honest. So Impacts, uh, as you mentioned, based in London, but really much, very much of a gold firm, came on the spectrum as specialists in this transition to a more sustainable economy with sort of proven impact metrics and real yeah, thought leadership as, a, as an expert and a specialist in the area And it's been a terrific um, Thank you. So today
1: in our conversation, we're going to talk about how responsible investing is maturing into a proven investment strategy with three major dimensions, risk, return and impact. We're going to talk about how advisors can set themselves apart from the herd to really differentiate their practice and to grow their book and why every advisor should have R.I. solutions on the shelves and be proactive in their conversations with clients on R.I. Why is R.I. such an important consideration for advisors?
0: I think the first element of response is because they're just good investments. They're really sound and proven, valid investing strategies. And the business case for integrating environmental, social, and governance criteria into you know, investment decision-making has been really strong and proven time and time again. We have these institutional investors that have been investing that way for decades now. And the fact of the matter is we're now offering the same proven strategies to retail investors, and they actually hear about that. When your clients actually want to invest in a certain way, it might be a good idea for an advisor to have these options on their shelves.
1: Deborah, I think there's a lot of misperception about the maturity and the depth of the ESG strategy.
0: So we we were, you know, we've been in, in the space for about 30 years. And yes, 30 years ago, it might have been niche, but what we've seen in the last years is really an increase in interest and the mainstreaming integration of these ESG factors into investment decisions. If you look at the recent year, just in 2020, the growth in assets under management in Canada for responsible investing funds and ETFs was 55% of asset growth just for that one year. If you compare that to the general industry, it was only 11%. So it's five-fold the growth. So there's a definite shift towards more responsible investing. And we've been, you know, conducting surveys with private retail investors over the past four years and every other year is that there's an increase in interest from clients for a type of investment that would not only look into the financial side of things, but also look into environmental and social practices of the companies that we choose to include in our portfolios. However, what we see is that it's probably still niche for advisors because there's a small minority of them actually addressing this type of investments with their clients. It's about 16% of them. Whereas it's about, you know, two-thirds of investors that want to incorporate that into their portfolio. So there really is a gap. There's a difference between the interest of the client and the amount of conversations that advisors are having. So I think advisors, they underestimate the interest of investors for this type of investment. And they might also confuse the lack of questions for a lack of interest on the part of the investor. Most of Investors, retail investors, they will rely completely on their advisors for ideas, for new investment ideas, for confirmation of what they think might be good for them. So if the advisor is not proactive on this, the investor will probably not raise the, uh, the topic.
2: And, and I'll add, uh, there's just a, a few points, even uh, when, when it comes to advisors and the one underestimating. And, and I can understand sometimes the confusion from their part, because when you think about ESG, it's so broad and how can you quantify and how do you make sure it actually has a return? I think when you think about these type of strategies, so the market sometimes is too short term oriented. And these type of goals sometimes, well, most of the times, it, it, it's a long term uh, goals, And you really have to see the uh, connection and the correlation between Doing the right thing, how the company invests, uh, if it's an energy transition, as the company invests in, in, into those metrics, going forward, there's an energy consumption that's going to be a lot less, there's going to be less liability. And so it, it's a question of education too. And for the advisors, the only remark I will say is that it, it's here to stay because I've been hearing it since I started like really getting into the, the, the weeds, really integrating it. Within the investment in the asset management summit, that it's just a, a fad and it, it, it's not gonna it's not gonna last. But I think it's here to last, and I think eventually, the way I see it is eventually my my hope is that ESG integration will even be talked about. It's just gonna be part of the process. So for the advisors, I would say that I, I think it's gonna be important to learn more and more about it, and I think the next generation. It's going to be mandatory because you're already seeing it, talking to my son, talking to other teenagers. They want to make sure it's not just about the shareholder anymore. It's about the stakeholder. So you want to make
1: sure that the company is doing the right thing for the longer term. Is it possible that because ESG and responsible investing are longer term ideas, that investors in general may have the conflict between the short termism and the long term view uh, on these Maybe investors view it as important and urgent, but the advisors view it as important, but not urgent. And maybe what needs to happen more is the urgency rises. We're starting to see that there's momentum happening as ESG and responsible investing uh, as an idea take hold and become more mature. And it's being led by shareholder engagement, right?
2: Absolutely, and I think that's one of the keys. Where it, it's really one of the biggest tools that we have as a as an asset manager. When you think about shareholder engagement, because it, it's really it, it's the start to have a dialogue with those companies, and that's again the disconnection between short term and long term. Sometimes when we have this these conversations, sometimes it's with the board. We don't talk to the board every quarter. It, it, it's an early, a yearly process. When it's proxy season, companies do reach out, and we have a conversation with them. And that doesn't happen overnight. It happens over several years, and that we could actually start to make a difference between that the ones that are actually making a difference and the ones that actually are brushing it off and bring the whole notion of greenwashing to the table.
3: Well, I just wanted to add to that uh, question of short-termism, in long investment horizon. That there are trillions of dollars now from institutional investors that are very much long-term. Find that we think about pension plan obligations, they are a decade, decades from the future. So if they try to match their assets and liabilities, we've seen a sea change in the eagerness of companies to engage, to report, their huge growth in numbers in terms of how much companies are reporting. For us, it is as equity investors, a risk tool. And so our turnover in our equity funds is something around five years. So that's a reasonably long horizon. And our objective really is to use that process to assess the character and the quality of the company because the quality of those engagements, uh, those conversations tell you a lot about the management team and how they think of their risks and how they operate their company. We know that they're going to be winners and losers at the company level. So for us, it's about building resiliency with the NFT company that we have.
1: Are, are you finding collaboration with your investee companies? Because ESG doesn't have any standard, it's the lack of
2: standardization. Like accounting was 60 years ago where it was a lot yeah. more rules coming in and a lot more standards. It's a question of time. There will be standards coming our way. But until then, uh, to your point, Pierre, I think it's a question of of telling the companies Uh, again, right? What's the proper way? How, what do they need to do? What really at the end of the day, like Nicolas said, uh, it's managing risk. And the the more you manage the risk, the more you have better returns for the long-term, less liability issues you're going to have down the road. But I always tell the companies, and this is why it's also important for Desjardins to set goals and to show an example that if I'm engaging with a company and I'm telling them, this is the way, not necessarily the right way of doing it, but you should consider uh, these alternatives. And we're, by the way, we're doing the same thing. It, it speaks. We're not just saying it to say it. We're actually doing it ourselves. So it's becoming more and yeah. more important that the company is engaging with us. So they're trying to figure out as well. But at the end of the day, nobody knows the company better than themselves. If there's something from a disclosure perspective that they're not really comfortable with, well, then tell me what you feel comfortable with. And maybe we can have a material or non material financial impact to your company, because at the end of the day, it will have an impact to your return. So it's that two-way stream of having those conversations with the company and educating. And sometimes uh, you don't need to do these 75 reports. At the end, you know what it is that is going to drive your company. You have all the information. And uh, another thing is the company, the more you're transparent, the better it is, the less liability. Because the boards are trying to figure it out as well, because they're, they're, because you, you can't put these data into your 10K because there's liability issues. They're, they're a bit not afraid, but they're holding back. But it's going to be a question of time. The standards are going to come. Uh, they will have to provide that information. And it's up to them to tell us what really has an impact. So uh, again, it, it's a question of educating, going into that right direction. That's going to just help us to make the wise decision, not just from a shareholder perspective, but from a stakeholder perspective. The
3: thing about this aspect of working with or looking at companies, it is time consuming, it is manual. And so that's part of the issue and part of the, I would say, advantage and the reason why you want to pick an active manager, because you cannot uh, speak to 3000 companies at once, but if you want a portfolio of 40 or 60 names across a pretty big team, absolutely. And you to have those conversations. And one of the things that impacts does is part of the investment process It's not just the financial quality, the balance sheet, the margin, so forth, and the operational quality. We create a company by company, an internal ESG score, and we use a materiality approach because otherwise you're looking at thousands different metrics, comes back to that whole risk and shareholder vulnerability or shareholder value creation question. So what we do is we look at each company and see what are the most uh, material issues. Is it toxic emission? Is it workplace practices, health and safety? Is it chemical safety? Is it their carbon footprint? And then drill down into what are they reporting? What are their processes? What are their targets? And as you say, there's a little bit certainly going on of uh, we're going to put these very aggressive targets forward and that that'll be for someone else to deliver them because those are 10, 20, 30 year targets. So, we want to see a science lead target and we want to see progression, which is also why the engagement is a longer term exercise. You know, most things don't happen inside of six months. Sometimes they do. But as you're looking for quality management people and the processes that they use and the targets that they set, that's something we want to, to revisit. And for us, therefore, we said that before we invest in a company as best as we can. And then we trap them and talk to them every six months, every year, maybe a quarter in some instances, and press them on their progress to achieve changing goals in the areas where we think they can post improvement. Because if we're a shareholder, we already think they're a good company. So we're not going to be expecting or seeing cases of, as you say, total rewashing where it's something that's completely, yeah, inappropriate. But we know that that there's improvement, and we convey across the industry. We know what their are doing. We press them. Uh, we be their own sort of landscape.
1: Thank you, Nicola. If I'm an advisor and I'm ignoring this, then really I'm missing out on a huge opportunity, which my clients are actually interested in. Sometimes clients feel they don't have the room to bring that, or when they have brought it up, it hasn't really been taken seriously, and it, the advisor sort of brushes it aside because. It's. It seems to be a secondary concern. Maybe that's the segue to talk about the opportunity that advisors have to differentiate themselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. At what we see happening, humans, they're creatures of habits. And you might have, as an advisor, a recipe that has always been working. And why would you change if it has been working? But the fact of the matter is, we are in a transition right now. And... The money is also being transferred to the next generation. It's estimated that around 900 billion dollars will be passing through from hand to the younger generation, to so millennials and women that will be inheriting that money from usually their parents or their husband. And what we know is that women and millennials aren't the two segments that are more interested in investing through to their values, to their priorities, closer to the benefits for community, for the environment, for the planet. So if, as an advisor, you're not being mindful of that shift yes. well, you're at risk of seeing up to maybe 70% of your assets, just leaving your practice because you're not being proactive in your conversations and you're not connecting with the successors of your clients. So you've been working very hard at building your practice and because you're not careful of those shifts happening, you're not aligning with the investment preferences of your new clients, of the heirs of your actual clients, you might be losing that asset to other advisors that are seizing that opportunity. So it really is something to keep in mind. The responsible investing and understanding the ESG and the value of it can really act as an insurance policy for your practice in a way.
1: This is probably the clearest cut opportunity for advisors to change the nature of their business going forward. I think what's interesting is just to, you know, look at the contrast between the fact that 85% of institutions have gotten behind ESG and only 16% of retail advisors. At some point, obviously, whether advisors believe it or not, there's going to be a reconciliation where everybody's on board. So the question is, when do you warm up to the validity of ESG? I think that's a really big question that advisors have to address for themselves.
0: I think it's rather it's it's all a matter of education and, and knowledge and understanding. Advisors are used to comparing investment products on two dimensions, risks and returns, and correlate that with their clients' needs in terms of time horizons and risk tolerance, et cetera. But we're adding information and criteria that they're not used to doing and their environmental and social and governance issues. And they're really hard to pinpoint, they're intangible, they're hard to quantify, they're hard to measure. We actually have a training program. It's a certification program that advisors are welcome to, and we actually explain to them, what are these ESG factors? How are they incorporated in our decision-making processes? And it's also a good way for them to understand that if you're an active manager, while most of our portfolio managers' impacts and DGAM being two of them, they have preparatory ESG assessment processes. So I think education with advisors is key to them incorporating this type of, of solutions and products into their practice.
1: I think it would make sense to share a link to the the education that you just talked about, the, the training. So maybe the uh, training program that you guys offer is a great starting point.
0: I, I think where. It's also important for advisors to get educated, to really understand the strategies because now that everyone has been launching responsible investing products, CTS mutual funds, it's getting harder and harder to differentiate between the different offerings. And everyone seems to have the same type of products. Everyone seems to have the same type of responsible investing strategies, some exclusion, ESG integration, shareholder engagement. But the question is to what extent? Are portfolio managers actually using them, and to what extent are they able to get results from that? And to what extent are they reporting on the results as well? And these are all questions that advisors should, you know, ask themselves and ask their wholesalers. But they they really should be understanding those strategies so that they're able to find the ones that are better able to meet their clients' needs. Otherwise, they run into the risk of maybe having disappointed investors at the end of it.
1: Compared to the last decade, where all the emphasis has been on passive investing, on indexing, this is a way more exciting topic i want to I want to thank you very much. This has been a really informative, insightful conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pierre.
3: Thank you, Pierre. Thank you, Pierre.
1: Let us know what you think about the topics we've discussed. Please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast if you have not already. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Make sure you give us a like, and please, please leave us a rating and or a review. Ratings and reviews are extremely important. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll be back with you very soon. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at advisoranalyst. Analyst. You can also find us and follow us on LinkedIn.